morning, everyone. It's really good to be back in Boulevard again after traveling the 30,000 miles, whatever it was we traveled. We, we really enjoyed the trip. Uh, Karen has told me we've slept in 77 different beds in the last, last year, so we've really got around. Uh, but it's been a really good time, and really since the Lord was, was going before us, uh, keeping us safe on the roads, but also in the various assemblies. We've, we've been to about 80 different assemblies over the last year, and it has been a really, really rewarding experience just to be able to make contact with so many believers, and also other people as well who've been struggling, some looking for answers, and uh, we just really sense the Lord was going before us. So we're here for a, another couple of weeks. We fly out on February 28th back to Cape Town, and we would appreciate your prayers as we make our way in that direction. Now, I've got on my mind uh, for the next four sessions um, a subject that I, I, I find it very important to me. Um, I didn't come from a, a Christian background. I, I don't come from the assemblies. Um, I was saved out of the world. And, and I know that there's a lot of questions that people ask who aren't part of this heritage. And... Um, some of the questions that I was thinking of that people ask is, is you know, we, we, when you think about people who've had no contact with us whatsoever, they come from other churches, other groups, and they walk into our buildings, and they come up with questions. And, and, and some of the questions that, that I thought of is the, the first one that normally is people ask is, so what denomination is this? Good question. How would you answer that? Then there's also the idea of, of well, who's your pastor? That's usually a very, that's usually question number two. And um, uh, what's so, why make so much about being born again? Uh, there's many churches that don't seem to emphasize that. And uh, why don't you baptize babies? These are questions that people ask. I was sprinkled as a little gaffer. Uh, and, uh, and um, you know, why don't we do that, you know, here? Is there a reason for it? Um, other good questions are, why do you have communion every week? Why not monthly or quarterly? Um, what is with the ladies and wearing something on their head? What's that all about? I mean, that's really different. Uh, not many churches do that sort of thing. Why are you doing that? Um, these are all very, very good questions that we need to ask and try and, and try and find out what the answers are to some of these questions. Now, when I, when I first went to Botswana, we went into the bush, and we started preaching the gospel in this village called Maun. And once people started to get saved, we needed to gather ourselves together as a, as a group of believers. And now, for the very first time in my experience, I was now asked, well, what should we do as Christians? How do we do things? Why do we do what we do? And I think those are really, really good questions that need to be looked at in every assembly occasionally because you have younger people that are coming up who, who they don't get this by osmosis and if it's not taught, we don't understand these things. And also we have visitors from many other types of congregations and churches. Um, is it just culture? Is it just our way of doing things? Or is there a biblical reason for it? And so we want to talk about some of these things this morning uh, uh, for a few moments. So we're going to read a scripture together just to start off. And this is probably, well, this is actually part of the very first sermon that was preached 
once the body of Christ was formed together in Acts chapter, Acts, Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And Peter was preaching. And this was part of his sermon. And we're just going to use that as our foundation, as our, as our, as our um, starting off point. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 40, uh, to 42 gives this. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation." Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. So, good questions that people ask. Now tonight, or today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the subject of of, uh, who is your pastor. But I want us just to sort of, where do we get our, our mandate from? And in an audience like this, I don't think it would be hard for us to agree that we want to get our marching orders, we want to get our directions from the Word of God, the Bible. That's where we get our... Now, I do think that that's what we would all agree on, but there are times when I think that believers do things that they assume is found in the Word of God, when really they're, the origin of these things are probably more found in culture or in tradition or in preference other than the Word of God. Now, we want to try and clarify that a little bit. We want to look at that. So, we do things in the assembly out of three motives. And the first one is out of conviction. In other words, we see this taught in our Bibles, and we are convicted of it, and that's why we do it. All right. Then there are other things that we have just done out of tradition. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean it's right. But let's call a spade a spade. It is a tradition. And then there is another thing that is called, we do things just simply out of preference. It makes sense to us here at Boulevard Bible Chapel for us to do it that way. That's why we do it. Now, sometimes these areas get confused. Where tradition becomes thought of as being biblical when it isn't. Let me give you an example. This took place when I was a young Christian in the city of Vancouver. And some of you will have to uh, give me a little bit of leeway here because I came from, when I got saved, I got saved in a very conservative assembly in Vancouver uh, called Victoria Drive Gospel Hall. And uh, I came into fellowship in one of the sister assemblies of this group called Carlton Gospel Hall. Now, we had a visiting missionary come to our assembly one Sunday morning by the name of David and Evelyn Jones. They were serving the Lord in Chile. Some of you might know their names. Uh, Both of them are gone to be with the Lord now. But David and Evelyn Jones had come to our assembly to uh, preach and um, give some ministry. Now, in this circle of assemblies that I was with, in in this group of assemblies, in this assembly in particular, 
they had a, a tradition. And the ladies wore hats. And it was sort of the thing that they didn't take their hat off until they left the building. All right? Now, one Sunday morning, Evelyn Jones was there. The meeting had come to an end. And people were filing out into the foyer to leave to get into the parking lot. Now, as she got up from her seat, she took her hat off or her veil off. And one of the elderly sisters came up to her. And I was sitting, standing behind them, and I was listening to this. And she said, Evelyn, what are you doing? She says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm taking my hat off. The meeting's over. But, but we're still in the hall. We're, we're still here. You shouldn't take your hat off yet. But she said, but the meeting is over. But she says, well, listen. She said, Evelyn said to her, listen, if I should keep my hat on, you shouldn't be talking. So some of you may not have caught that. It just made the point that, listen, women having their head covering and keeping silent went together. Now, the fact that she took her hat off before the meeting somehow gave this lady license to be speaking, it just didn't, it didn't jive. In other words, this was where Scripture had departed and, 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 and tradition took over, you see. And we need to be careful when it comes to things that we do and when we try and defend them, we need to be sure that we're defending what God wants us to defend and not our traditions and not our likes and our preferences. If I was to ask you for a verse, and I know we're all guilty of this. Now, if I was to ask you for a verse that tells us why we should be remembering the Lord in the morning instead of in the evening, what verse would you give me? You'd have a hard time, wouldn't you? I mean, it's not called the Lord's breakfast, is it? It's called the Lord's supper, which is an evening thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that's what... But what I'm saying is this. We need to examine what we do, why we do them, and be able to demonstrate how we can prove this to be justified and taught from the Scriptures. So, we're going to look at these three things. Conviction, tradition, and preference, okay? Now, basically, I'm just giving us sort of some fundamentals in interpreting the, the scriptures. So, but as we look at conviction, and this is the most important thing now, is how we understand what we read in the Bibles. There's two words that I want us to think of first when it comes to conviction. When you are reading the Bible... There are some things that are called descriptive, and there are other things that are called prescriptive. Now, you go through the book of the Acts, and you find that there is a description of where the believers met. It seems that they met in the upper room. The upper room is referred to many, many times. Now, that is a description of what took place. But it is not a prescription. There's no prescription saying that you and I as Christians should always be meeting up in the upper room. You understand? So that is how we would identify the difference between descriptive and prescriptive. Let me give you another example. 
is, I know, some, and this is where we need to be very careful, because I have seen churches split over these sorts of things, stupid things. They're always stupid. Because there is no instrument mentioned in our New Testament as the church met together, because there's no instrument mentioned, Some people have thought, well, that must be prescriptive then. We should not have instruments in our buildings. And I have seen assemblies split over that. And really, that is the wrong rules of interpretation. You understand? There is no verse in our Bibles that teaches and says that we should not use instruments as believers who met together. Now, in the Old Testament, there's examples of, of, old, of, of, of instruments, but in the New Testament, there isn't. But there's no verse that teaches that we should not do that. So we need to be careful that we don't use a description of things to be prescriptive. Now, I know that doesn't answer all of the questions, but it does answer most of them. And so we're going to look into that. Now, this morning, I'm going to look at this subject of what denomination are you? Uh, tonight, in the will of the Lord, we're going to talk about who is your pastor? Who is your pastor here? And the whole idea of having a one-man leadership and that sort of thing. Then on Wednesday, we're going to talk about the priesthood of, of believers. And I'm going to ask the question, am I a priest? And as a priest, what are my roles in the church? And then on Friday, we're going to be looking at this very interesting subject of men and women in the Bible, is there a difference? We're going to look at how do we understand gender distinction. And we're quite unique in the assemblies in the way we handle things. Are we right or are we wrong? We need to find out. And so we're going to look at the headship issues. We're going to look at the head covering and other things like that on Friday night. So if you have a question about that, we'd ask you to to make sure you make it out here on Friday evening. Now, I have a, there is a box at the back somewhere where questions are to be asked. Now, some of these questions that I'm going to try and answer are going to generate more questions. I may not have the answer for them. But I would like for you, if you have a question in regard to the New Testament church and how we function as believers, and maybe it's a question in particular about boulevards, And if you don't want to put your name on it, that's fine, just anonymous. I may not answer it, but put it in the box anyways. We'll have a look at it, and 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 that'll give us an idea of of where people are. Because sometimes there are questions that people have, and they're actually too afraid to ask, or too uh, embarrassed to ask. And, And I'd ask you just to write it out and put it in the box. And we're going to try and look at some of those on the Friday evening as well. So... This morning, let's look at, in the last 15 minutes of our meeting, what denomination are you? So we're going to have to really fly to get through this subject in the next 15 minutes. It's quarter after. Well, thank you for that. Good. All right, so we're going to take our time now. What denomination are you? All right, we're going to look at this, and um, the, the very first thing that we're going to talk about is, is, is what I would think about here as the, um, the universal church. Now, When you get into your Bible, you find the word church mentioned several times. And the very first thing that I'm going to talk about this morning is is what we know as the universal church. Now, um, I'm just trying to find out if I got my my verses here. I don't think I actually put them in here. But I want you to turn to Matthew 
And uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter, chapter 16, I think. Matthew chapter 16. We'll start our reading. And this is the very first time the word church is mentioned in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 16 is the very first time the word church is mentioned in our New Testament. And uh, let's read that, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to draw your attention to who is the builder. Jesus said, I will, it's something in the future, build my church. And there's only one. That's what he's talking about. Now, I've, I've come up with a term to describe this church, and, and there are better terms, but this is just one that I've used, and, and you can use other ones if you like. But, but this one, I'm going to call it the universal church. When this this, this, the, the idea that's coming across here is what we know as the universal church. Now, what does that mean? The universal church is made up of all believers everywhere from all time. It doesn't matter what period of time we're looking at. From the day of Pentecost until the, the rapture of the church or where the Spirit of God is, 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 goes back up to heaven... From that moment, during that period of time, is what we know as the universal church. It is made up of all believers from this whole period of time. It doesn't matter what group they come from, what denomination where they come from. It is everywhere, all around the world, from all this period of time. This is what we know as the universal church. Now, there's another time the word church is used and that's found in Matthew chapter 18 let's look at there for a moment Matthew 18 this is actually the second time the word church is mentioned in our Bibles and uh, this is actually in reference to uh, uh, an area of discipline but let's just look at 18 Matthew 18 verse 15 and it goes like this moreover if thy brother shall trespass against thee Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. This is verse 15. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Matthew 18, verse 16 says, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So what we have in mind here is what I would like to call as a local church. In other words, this is a group of body, a, a, a group of believers, a body of believers that can be approached. And they can be told something. And so this is a group of believers who meet together in one place, a locality. Now, there are some things that I want to just, uh, well, we've, I, I guess I actually did have the references here. There are some things that I want us just to understand here about this universal church. There is this historical timeline. This is where I want you to sort of put it into perspective. And I find it always helpful if I can visualize where this fits in in history. Now, in the Old Testament, you have, of course, uh, Adam and Eve, and you have Noah and the Ark, and you have Moses and the Ten Commandments, and then you have 
the cross and the death of the Lord Jesus and uh, the start of the New Testament. And after the Lord was buried, 50 days later, we know as the day of Pentecost, and that's when the Holy Spirit of God descended from heaven and baptized the church. God, or the Lord Jesus, baptized the church in the Holy Spirit. And so here you have the commencement of this, this historical church, this, this universal church. Now, the universal church is made up of all true believers in Christ from the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 until the rapture of the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, let's look at that a little bit closer here. Fifty days after the death of Christ, there was the day of Pentecost. And then someday in the future will be the rapture of the church when the Spirit of God will go back into heaven and take the church with him. And that period of time is known as the universal church. And that is the period of time that we would describe as the universal church. Okay, now we under want to understand that this is one of the definitions of the word church. So we have to distinguish between this idea of the universal church and then what we have to understand is the difference between that and local churches. Now there's a big difference and we need to make sure we, we know that there is a difference between them. And so we're going to make a little observation this morning about the character of the universal church. Let's look at this first of all. There is only one universal church. Okay, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. There's only one of these, okay? If you can keep that in your mind, that will be very helpful for you to distinguish the difference between the universal church, the church which is Christ's body, and the local church. So there is only one universal church. It is composed of all believers in Christ, both living and those with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All believers, it doesn't matter whether, most of this church is in heaven. Do you know that? This universal church, most of it's already in heaven. There's just a little bit of it here on earth. My mother, she's part of that church. My dad, she's part of that church. You have family members that have gone on. They're part of that church. They're not part of Boulevard anymore. They're not part of some other local church anymore. But they're still part of that church, the universal church. And then we have, it is composed of only genuine believers, regardless of denominational ties. You see, the church which is Christ's body is made up of all believers everywhere. It doesn't matter where they hang their, church, their hat on Sunday. It doesn't matter um, uh, what their link is that way. If they know Christ as Savior, they are part of this church. And the other thing is this, is that it is composed of only genuine believers. It is those who absolutely possess salvation. These are the ones we're talking about. You see, why I'm making this distinction is because local churches, we're going to talk about that in a moment, is composed up of not, uh, is composed of professing believers. In other words, we don't know the hearts of everybody in the assembly at Boulevard. I remember an, uh, one time that took place, a story that took place when I was a young man. I, was, uh, I worked with a, a colleague of mine who was in the assembly that we were attending. 
and we were in the midst of gospel meetings for a week, and I was working the afternoon shift. I was a, wasn't able to make it to the meetings, and um, and uh, Lauren, my colleague, he came up to me. He says, "You'll never guess who got saved last night." And I went through a whole list of people who I thought were candidates and ready to be saved. And no, it wasn't this. It wasn't that. It wasn't the next person. And then he said it was Norman McKillop. I said, Norman McKillop, he's, he was, he's been in the assembly for years. He taught Sunday school. I remember him even trying to preach the gospel once. I said, try it, because he didn't do a very good job. But um, this guy was part of the local fellowship. He was in fellowship of this assembly, but he never was saved. Now, that, that's a possibility. But that's an impossibility when it comes to this church, the universal church. The universal church is made up of only genuine believers. And so that's something that separates, uh, uh, distinguishes us. Christ is the foundation and the builder of this church. I will build my church. That's what the Lord Jesus said. And you become a member the moment you trust Christ. That's how you become a member of the church, which is Christ's body. Now, you're going to see as we get on in a moment or two that there's a distinguishing, there are distinguishing features that are different between the universal church and the local church. And uh, you never cease being a part of this church, the church which is Christ's body, the universal church. So these are, these are wonderful truths to hold on to as Christians. And finally, there's this idea here. The gates of, sh- of hell shall not prevail against this church. This church will endure forever. It will not be destroyed. This is the church which is Christ's body. He has built it. And as the, 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 the founder of this and the builder of this, the gates of hell shall not touch it, shall not prevail against it. So this church is indestructible. Now, let's look at the local church. And you're going to see some contrasts that... that Help us to understand the big difference between the two. Now, we've already read the passage in Matthew 18. And uh, I want you just to understand that the local church is a bit different in that it is made up of professing believers in Christ who meet regularly in in a location for worship and service. Now, when you go through our New Testament, you find that the churches that met in different localities, that was their identifying feature. It was, you go through the Bible and you read about the church at, at Corinth or the church at, at Ephesus and, uh, or the churches of Galatia. You see, they're a link to a geographical location and these local, these local churches were made up of professing believers. These were believers who, who openly said, I believe in Jesus Christ. They professed to be a, a part of that and, and they became members of this local, local church. Now, we have examples of that. First um, Corinthians 12, Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And here's another one. He went through, this, through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Now, what is the difference between, how do you contrast the difference between the universal church and the local church? Now, let's, let's think about that. The universal church, we've made it already, we've understood this, there's only one. Remember, Jesus said, 
I will build my church, only one. But when it comes to the local church, there are more than one. There are many churches. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says this, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. So here you have a reference to many churches. So it's obviously something different, isn't it, than the original what we're talking about. Jesus said, I will build my church. That's a universal church. But then Paul is referring to the churches, many of them, a plurality of these. So there's something different there. Then you have... The universal church is built by Christ. He said, I will build my church. But when it comes to a local church, I believe that it is built by evangelists. Now, we have an example of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is what the Apostle Paul said. He says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. And another buildeth thereon. But let every man, every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Now you see, the local church, God has given that the responsibility to his people. As we as evangelists, we go out and we preach the gospel. We gather people in once they've been saved. And just as in what the Lord Jesus taught us to do, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all these things that he has commanded us to do. So we have a responsibility as evangelists, as, as shepherds, as teachers, to gather those that have trusted the Lord together and we teach them how we meet together and how we function as Christians and these sorts of things. So, so the local church, I believe, is, is the responsibility of, 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 of local men to, to carry on and to keep busy in the things of the Lord. You see... It takes work, doesn't it, for an assembly to grow. It takes work for an assembly to develop and to, and to be prosperous and see the blessing of the Lord. You know, we've been to, to some buildings, to some assemblies, and I'm not criticizing any, you know, I don't know the circumstances, but they don't have an evening meeting anymore. They don't use their building for their weeknight meeting. They have home Bible studies. They don't have an outreach. Um, we, we, we were just in one in Canada recently, a beautiful, beautiful Bible chapel, huge, but it's never used. And I was just wheeling in here this morning, and I, and I was saying to Karen, you know, we were just, we, we, we were living at the house next door here, and I thought, you know, this building is used for the Lord. It's just a simple structure, but man, it, so many nights of the week, I mean, we were here, um, was it Saturday night? all the noise going on and, and everything. They're using this place for the Lord. They're reaching out to the community. And, 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 you know, there's different activities. You talk to the elders, they're busy. And there's a responsibility that in order for an assembly to develop, it takes hard work. And God has, has left that into the hands of those that are his servants to, to carry on in this work. So elders and deacons and members of the assembly work together in order to develop a local assembly. We notice also that the universal church is composed up of only genuine believers. But when it comes to the local church, it is made up of professing believers. And so we have believers from 
we have people who may not be genuine Christians amongst us at times. And that's, and that's something that we need to be very careful about when it comes to receiving people into our, into our group. The universal church is governed by Christ. Colossians chapter 1, it says this, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the, from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So the Lord Jesus is the, the governor of the church, which is his body. He is the government of the, of the universal church. But when it comes to a local church, God again has given that responsibility to believers, to local elders, governed by local elders. Hebrews chapter 13 says that, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. You see, the local church has been, the leadership of it has been given to local believers and to elders, and they have been given that responsibility by God to, to govern in the assembly. And so there's a contrast here again between the universal church and the local church, governed by local elders. Now, how do you become a member of the church which is Christ's body? How do you become a member of the universal church? You become a member by trusting in Christ. That's really the only read. That's the only criteria. How do you become a member into the body of Christ? You become a member by simply believing in Christ. August 18, 1975, at 8.30 in the evening, I came to Christ for salvation. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I became a member of this tremendous church, which is Christ's body, the universal church. And you know, there was no fanfare. There was no ceremony. It was just by trusting in Christ. And that's how I became a member of the universal church. But when it comes to the local church, how do we become a member of, of, this, of this church? Well, we, we find that uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them. They were received by the assembly, they were added to the to the local church, and so there is a uh, this is a, a step that takes place after conversion, where they become a, a member of a local fellowship of believers, and so membership is by being received. Now the thing with the universal church is that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it; it is indestructible. The universal church will never be destroyed; it will never be attacked. It will, it will never be harmed. But when it comes to the local church, local churches, sadly, can be. Um, we know of assemblies that for many, many years functioned, and for one reason or another, they are no longer functioning. Sometimes it has to do with sin. Sometimes it has to do with other problems. And these assemblies cease to function. And we know the devil is out to destroy that which honors the Lord Jesus. And if he can attack an assembly, he will do it. And if he can do it from the outside, he'll do that. And if that fails, he'll work from within. And he has all different means of doing things in order to, to disrupt the assembly and to take honor and rob honor from the Lord Jesus. But as believers, we must understand 
that we need to keep short accounts with the Lord. And as, as an assembly, we must be careful to be, bring our, 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 our thoughts to him and make sure that, that we're, we're being governed by the Lord and that we are keeping in contact with him. It is so easy just to be swayed by tradition and culture and, uh, and these sorts of things. And, and we need spiritual men to lead us to go forward. And may the Lord preserve us in this way. And um, if we do that, we'll not be destroyed. Now, the interesting thing about this, in the universal church, you never cease to become a member. You're always a member of that once you've trusted Christ. You become a member of that. But when it comes to the local assembly, there is the, the sad event when a believer no longer is following the scriptures and has departed in a way so much that it's going to bring reproach upon the name of the Lord. And they're, according to 1 Corinthians 5, they're no longer part of the fellowship. They're removed from the assembly. And so there's this idea of a without and a within when it comes to the local church. But when it comes to the universal church, you are part of that forever. And thank God for that, that that's based upon the work of Christ. And so we have these, these different things that are sort of contrast. Now, I'm, I'm trying to keep it very simple, and I'm, I'm not a, a, you know, a, a, there are much better Bible students around that can go into this in depth. I'm, I'm, I remember Dr. Harlow, a good friend of mine, he started Everyday Publications Incorporated. And some of you know EPI material, and he has got a, he uses a certain amount of vocabulary in order to teach the scriptures. And, and he keeps it in that, 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 that area of, of vocabulary. And I, and I remember one time talking about, with him about some subjects. And, and he said, Sid, use the KISS method. Now, some of you know what the KISS method is, don't you? Keep it simple, stupid. That's what he kept telling me. Keep it simple, stupid. And, 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 and I'm just trying to... Look at the, at the outside of this and the exterior and trying to keep it simple and, and see if we can sort of prompt some questions and, and, and look at them, just observe what the scriptures say. Now, we have a typical denomination here, and this is by no means a criticism of any other group. We're not trying to knock anybody down. This is strictly an observation of how many churches uh, function, and, and I want to sort of contrast that with what I believe to be the biblical approach. And so most churches, they have a, a head office, and uh, the, this, they have different churches that all have responsibility to their head office. And so when it comes to instruction, when it comes to what they believe, how they're going to function, finances, and all that sort of thing, they basically have to look towards their head office. That's where they get their answers from, and that's where they get their marching orders from. Now, when you come to the New Testament you don't find anything like a head office. But you do find that in the book of Revelations, for example, chapter 2 and 3, you notice that the Lord is walking amongst the, the churches. He's walking amongst them. And he is really the source of, of, um, of authority, for encouragement, for instruction. And so you have, uh, for instance, Boulevard Bible Chapel. I've just thrown these in last night. Hollywood Bible Chapel. Uh, Boca Raton Bible Chapel, um, Bible Truth Chapel. You, you, you've got these various assemblies, and they're getting their marching orders from the same source, from Christ. 
Now, it's very interesting that, that the assembly here is what we know as, well, I'm going to use this word, independent. Boulevard Bible Chapel is independent. I haven't checked with them, but I'm pretty sure it is. It is what we also call autonomous. In other words, it's self-governing. It's not getting its marching orders from Boca Bible Chapel or some other chapel. It's not going to a head office. When the believers here, when the elders here are making decisions, who are they looking to? They're looking to the Lord. They're not looking to an office somewhere. They're They're looking to heaven. And they're trying to get instruction from him, from the Lord of the churches, as to how they're going to function. So each one of these churches are independent and autonomous, yet there's something unique about them that they're also interdependent. And that's something that, well, we just had an example of that earlier. Um, You guys are having a missions conference. And you are linking with some of these other assemblies in order to benefit from their gifts, and they also benefit from the gifts that are here, and you work together. So there's an interdependence that goes on as we talk about that. So here we have just a, a, a broad overview of the distinction of this question, what denomination are you? So who are we? Well, we are an independent local church of believers in Christ who meet regularly for worship and service. We are Boulevard Bible Chapel. So I I hope this sort of just brings it together a little bit. This is by no means an in-depth study, but I wanted to just show that there is a difference between the church which is Christ's body, the universal church, and then there's the local church, what we are known as uh, uh, here as Boulevard Bible Chapel. So we trust that God will bless his word to us. Uh, This evening we're going to look at this subject here about who is your pastor, and and I, I trust that you'll be encouraged by that. Let's pray.